your Bibles tonight, if you will, and turn to the book of Romans, the book of Romans, chapter number 14, and uh, just recently we've had some questions on the judgment seat of Christ, and uh, well, I, th- I thought I'd, you know, I thought I had brought a message on this uh, not too long ago, but evidently it had been a little longer than what I'd thought, and so... Um, the Lord began to direct, and I want to talk to you a little bit about the judgment seat of Christ and what every Christian ought to know. We're going to turn to a lot of places tonight. Mostly, we're going to hang out in the book of Revelation, and also we're going to hang out in the book of 1 Corinthians. We will turn to maybe a couple other places, but just get ready to turn in some of those places tonight. But we're going to begin in Romans chapter 14 this evening. Romans chapter 14, and... Um, Just because you've worked such a long, hard day, I'm going to let you stand one last time because I know you get tired. I know you get tired and uh, so easy, you know, because I'm up here moving around and you've been going hard at it today. I know you have and I appreciate your faithfulness and uh, and, uh, so anyway, that'll give you one last opportunity to let that blood stir just a little bit and we'll just read two verses and and we'll let you have a seat and then uh, we won't keep you long tonight. Romans 14, verse 10. Why don't we, since we're just going to read two verses, why don't we just read them together tonight? Romans 14, verse 10. Ready? But why dost thou judge thy brother? Or why dost thou set it naught thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. And you may be seated We hardly ever preach a message or have preachers in here that preach something that's not applicable to somebody in this room or in this church. We know that our Bible says that the word of God never returns void. So that means, you know, I could get up here if the Lord leads me. I could teach on marriage tonight, and although not everybody's married and some are not marrying age yet, and uh, that means that the word of God is always going to give you something. Um, but I'm going to be honest with you, this message is not, not going to miss anybody. In fact, I hope that you notice some of the words there in Romans chapter 14, the latter part of verse number 10, the Bible says, for we shall all. That means that every single person in here tonight is going to take part in what we're going to teach on tonight. And so every once in a while, we'll teach on something, and there may be a young person that says, you know, preacher, that's for mom and dad. But what we're going to teach on tonight is for everybody. For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And verse 11 says, for it is written, as I live, saith the Lord. Look at the next word. Every knee. Every knee. Now, you say, preacher, what does that mean? It means every knee. Every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. And so I want to talk to you a little bit uh, tonight about this subject, the judgment seat of Christ. Typically, I try to let you out here by 8.30 on Wednesday nights. I know you have homework and you need to get in the bed. And, and I'm gonna, so I'm going to try to do that tonight. I'm try to keep this within 30 minutes. But we're going to have to really get with the program to make that happen tonight. So let's talk about that a little bit tonight. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. Thank you for uh, your blessings, for the opportunity to be here tonight. And Lord, we thank you for the great music that we have so enjoyed tonight, singing together as a congregation and as a family. Thank you for altar prayer tonight. Lord, what a special time that is. 
And now, Lord, as we take just a few moments to, to get around the book, to get around the book, Lord, the Word of God, I pray that you'd knit our hearts together. And Lord, I pray that you would teach us, Lord, a truth that would stay with us for a long, long time. Uh, Lord, may this not just be midweek service, may it not just be Wednesday prayer meeting, but God, may this be life-changing time this evening. I pray for the power of the Holy Spirit as I teach and preach, but also I pray for the power of the Holy Spirit that I might hear, and I pray for the power of the Holy Spirit for our people that they might hear, and then, Lord, we pray for the power of the Holy Spirit that we might employ what we hear and use it, Lord, for the glory of Jesus and, uh, Lord, for his cause and his kingdom. So, Lord, help us now, please. We love you and praise you. We ask all these things in Jesus' precious name, and for his sake we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Now, found this statement. Daniel Webster is remembered as stating this, quote, the greatest thought that has ever entered my mind is that I will have to stand before a holy God and give an account of my life. What's well, a sobering thought, isn't it? that we're all gonna have to stand before God. All of us are. And by the way, saved or lost. Now, we're not gonna deal with that judgment tonight. We'll deal with the judgment of Christ tonight, but, but we will all stand before God and give an account of our life. We notice there in Romans chapter, 10, verse, uh, Romans chapter 14, verse number 10, the Bible mentions the judgment seat of Christ. For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. What does that mean? Well, the word judgment seat there in the Greek is the word bima. And it means, it means a raised place mounted by steps. A raised place mounted by steps. Now, boy, how many know this book's just amazing? Amen. It's just amazing. And it's so applicable and it's so understandable. And people say, I just don't understand the Bible. Oh, listen, keep on reading and keep on praying and keep on asking the author to teach you because he will. He, he wants to do that. Um, but boy, when you begin to read this book and the Spirit of God just begins to open up your understanding, it's just amazing how, uh, how it's written and how everything is placed exactly where it's supposed to be placed. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. Although when we see those words, judgment seat, that may not mean a whole lot to us. That may seem a little confusing to us. Um, it, it, it meant perfect sense to these Roman Christians that Paul was writing to here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit because they knew when he mentioned judgment seat, when he mentioned Bema, well, they knew exactly what that was. They had no problem understanding. They didn't, have any, they didn't have to have anybody explain that to them. They knew what the Bema seat was. Let me explain that to you. The city of Corinth was famous for something called the Isthmian Games. It was a festival of athletic contests and events similar to what we would know as the Olympic Games. At the end of each contest or event, the athletes would appear before a large, ornately decorated platform called the Bema. On this platform, the emperor sat on the judgment seat and gave out rewards to the victorious athletes for their years of dedicated and disciplined training and their perseverance and endurance in the heat of competition and battle. When my wife and I were in the Holy Land, we did not get to go to Caesarea, but we got to go by Caesarea. And, um, and history records that King Herod built a structure resembling a throne at Caesarea or a bema at Caesarea. 
And, uh, and on this Bema seat, he would view the games. And from that Bema or that judgment seat, he would make speeches to the people. In the Grecian games, the umpire or, ref, or referee sat on a Bema seat. And from that seat, he rewarded those contestants who had so run as to obtain the prize. And so that's what the beam is about. That's what the, the judgment seat of Christ is about. It is a throne. It is a seat that will no doubt be elevated and it will be a place that the Lord Jesus Christ will judge from. So when you hear judgment seat, that's what that means. It, uh, it, it, it's a place where Christ will be seated and he will judge. Now, somebody says, Pastor, is Romans 14 the only place that talks about the judgment seat of Christ? And absolutely, it is not the only place. In fact, I wanna show you uh, a few other places tonight. Take your Bibles and turn over to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter number five tonight. 2 Corinthians chapter five, and look, if you will, at verse number six. 2 Corinthians chapter five and verse number six. And while you're finding your place, I'm gonna go ahead and start reading. 2 Corinthians chapter five and verse number six. Paul says there, therefore we are always confident, knowing that whilst we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Now that's a verse you hear a lot. In fact, you'll hear preachers use that verse at funerals, and, uh, and, and it's a good verse for funerals. What some people don't know is that verse is actually tied in with what we're teaching tonight. And so Paul says, we are confident, verse eight, we are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Wherefore, we labor that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. For, here it is, verse 10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. And then look what he says in verse 11, very interesting. Paul says, knowing therefore the what? Wow, what a verse to use about the Lord. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord we persuade men that we are made manifest unto God. And I trust also are made manifest in your consciences. Now you say, preacher, why, was, why would the Bible talk about the judgment seat of Christ? And then in that same uh, passage, it talks about the terror of the Lord. Well, we'll, we'll get into that maybe in just a few moments, maybe. Uh, but let's, let's talk about the judgment seat of Christ and what every Christian ought to know. And some of these are just some simple, simple things that I wanted to bring out, but things that, that we need to know. All right, how about this? Number one, the judgment seat will come about following the rapture of the church. And so someone says, Pastor, when's it gonna happen? This judgment seat, when, when, when's, it gonna, when's it gonna come to pass? Well, it's gonna come about following the rapture of the church. Now, uh, let's see, I'm trying to figure out which places to have you turn because I got so many scriptures tonight. So uh, turn over to 2 Timothy chapter four in your Bibles. If you're in, first, uh, if you're in 2 Corinthians, you're not far away from Timothy. So just turn right and go a little ways. 2 Timothy chapter four and verse number one. The judgment seat will come about following the rapture of the church. 2 Timothy chapter four, verse one. Look what Paul says here. He says, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, look at this, who shall judge the quick and the dead, those that are alive and those that are dead, who shall judge the quick and the dead, look at this, at his appearing and his kingdom. Now, you say, preacher, which is it? It's both. It's both. He's gonna, he's gonna judge at his appearing 
and his kingdom. Look what he says in verse number seven, same chapter, verse number seven. Paul says, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I've kept the faith. Henceforth, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. Now, what day is he talking about, Pastor? He's talking about the judgment seat of Christ. At that day, and not to me only, Paul says, but unto all them also that love his appearing. So again, I think it's just important we know when it's going to happen. When is this judgment seat of Christ gonna take place? And it's believed that it's gonna take place after the rapture, but before the second coming of Christ. Now, you say, Pastor, you got any more scripture on that? I do. And so I want you to take your Bibles tonight and turn over to Revelation chapter 19. Revelation chapter 19. And in the book of Revelation, and specifically verse number 19, Scripture makes mention of what we call the second coming of Christ. And I talked about that a little bit Sunday. Now, that's different from the rapture. The rapture takes place in the air. The rapture is when Jesus will come back for his church. But then there'll be seven years of tribulation. And at the end of that seven years of tribulation, there'll be the second advent or the second coming of Christ. And Revelation chapter 19 references the second coming of Jesus Christ when Jesus will come after the tribulation and he'll begin to set up his kingdom on the the earth. But it would appear that when Revelation 19 talks about that second coming, it at least appears that the church by that time has already been judged and rewarded. In fact, look at it with me, if you will, in Revelation 19, verse number seven. And by the way, we've been to the marriage supper. I don't want to leave that out because that's pretty important. Revelation 19, verse seven. Uh, John the Revelator says, let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him for the marriage of the lamb has come and his wife hath made herself ready. And to her, here it is now, verse eight, and to her, the church, and to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. Now again, what's the idea? The idea here is that we've already been rewarded. We've been blessed. We've been raptured out and God has, uh, at the judgment seat of Christ, uh, he has rewarded us according to our works. Verse nine says, and he saith unto me, right, blessed are they which are called on the marriage supper of the lamb. And he saith unto me, these are the true sayings of God. By the way, just uh, I think two verses later, just two verses later, the Bible makes reference of the second coming of Christ. And so my point is this, it's after the rapture, but it's before the second coming. So, you, you say, uh, preacher, when the rapture takes place, how soon is it going to be? I'm not exactly sure how soon it's going to be, but it's going to be sometime within that, that uh, span of time that uh, the judgment seat of Christ is going to take place. So the judgment seat will come about following the rapture of the church, but there's something else here. Number two, the judgment seat will convene in the heavenlies. So somebody says, when's it going to happen? Where's it going to happen? Where's it going to happen? Well, I think this is important for us to know where where it's going to happen. And I believe this is going to happen in the heavenlies. So let's look at Revelation chapter number four and look at verse number one with me tonight. Revelation chapter four and verse number one. And look what our Bible tells us here. Revelation four, we believe Revelation chapter four is, is more than likely a reference to the rapture of the church. 
It's very, very similar to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And John says in Revelation 4 verse 1, After this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I, which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. Look at verse 2. John says, And immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, here it is, a throne was set in what? In heaven. And one sat on the throne, and he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone, and there was a rainbow round, round about the throne in sight like unto an emerald. And round, look at verse four. And round about the throne were four and twenty seats, and upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting, clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads, this is significant, and they had on their heads, what they have on their heads? Crowns of gold. And so we, uh, we, we've received those crowns of gold and uh, this whole story, this event right here is taking place in heaven. Look at verse number nine, interesting as well. Verse number nine, and when those beasts give glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne who liveth forever and ever, the four and 20 elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever. And look what they do. The Bible says, and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. By the way, I'm not preaching on this tonight, but, but I would like to just insert this. Somebody says, preacher, why is it important that I serve the Lord? Because our Bible tells us right there that we're gonna take those rewards that we receive in heaven and we're gonna cast them at the Savior's feet. Now, you say, Pastor, if I get a reward, I want to keep it. Well, here's what's going to happen. Here's what's going to happen. When you and I get in the presence of God, we're going to realize how unworthy we are of those rewards. But there's something else that's going to happen. We're going to understand how worthy he is. We don't understand it. You say, I understand it. No, you don't. And by the way, neither do I. Uh, we don't really understand like, like we will understand one of these days. But my dear friend, one of these days when we are finally in his presence and we behold his righteousness and his holiness and his goodness and his love. And uh, I'm gonna tell you what, we will wanna take those rewards and we'll wanna take those crowns and man, we'll wanna cast them at his feet. And so the judgment seat will come about following the rapture. The judgment seat will convene in the heavenlies. But I want to give you something else, and this is interesting as well. The judgment seat will be controlled by Christ. It'll be controlled by Christ. Now, let me show you some great scripture tonight. Turn over. I told you we won't go into a lot of places, but uh, John chapter 5, the gospel of John. Look there with me, if you will. John chapter 5. And this is such important scripture that you really need to see it rather than just me read it. And this is an important point as well. So I'm glad I'm having you turn there because I really believe this point is so important. The judgment seat will be controlled by Christ. John 5 verse 21. For as the Father raiseth up the dead and quickeneth them, even so the Son quickeneth whom he will. Now look at verse 22. The Bible says, for the father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the son. 
that all men should honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. He that honoreth not the Son, honoreth not the Father, which has sent him. So the judgment seat will be controlled by Christ. Now, you say, preacher, is that important? Oh, my word. That's so important. Let me tell you one of the reasons that's, that, that that's important. Because you don't answer to me. And for that matter, you don't answer to anybody else. Listen, did you know that some people, some people live their Christian life as, as though they answer to the pastor? Well, we better go. We don't want to go, but we better go. Because if we don't go, you know, a pastor's going to be wondering where we are. Hey, kids, get out of bed. We've got to go. Pastor's going to be wondering when we don't go. And sometimes we sort of live like we're answering to the pastor or answering to the preacher or maybe sometimes we might say, well, I guess we better go to the event, you know, because if we don't go to the event, you know, what's the church going to think? What's the, what, what's the church going to think about us? And church, this is what I'm trying to tell us tonight. At the Bema Seat of Christ, you will not stand before the pastor and you will not stand before a preacher and you will not stand before a deacon or a teacher. Now get this now because this is so important. But at the judgment seat of Christ, we will stand before the Christ. We'll stand before the Christ. Now, church, I am, I'm pretty convinced about this. That is, that this is, this point that I'm talking about to, about to you right now, this is exactly why the enemy is trying their best to dumb down church. That church is no big deal. That church is just another place. You come as you are, leave as you were. It's no big deal. That's why we have pastors walking in the pulpit in Bermuda shorts and flip-flops. You say, you against that? I am. Sure am. You know why? You know why I'm against it? You know why I'm against it? Because that same pastor would not, you cannot get me to believe for a half of a second that that same pastor, if he got called to the Oval Office of the White House, would walk in, and I don't care who's serving as president, you can't tell me for a half a second that he would walk into the Oval Office with a pair of Bermuda shorts and flip-flops on. It's not going to happen. You know what he's going to do? He's going to go somewhere and make sure he's got a suit and a tie. And man, he's going to shine his shoes. And he's, why? Because he's going to the president's house. Listen, brother, did you know that every single Sunday when I walk in here, I'm going somewhere more important than the president's house? Man, when I walk through those doors, I'm coming to God's house. Man, this is big. This is not little. This is not small. This is not insignificant. Man, this is huge. And I want you to understand that we will stand before the Christ. And that's why we're living in a world and we're living in a church. Our church society today just wants you to think, oh, you know, Jesus, he, hey, Jesus, he's cool, man. Jesus is cool, he's your BFF. He's my BFF, man. Me and Jesus, you know, we're, we're buds. Me and the man upstairs, you know, we... Me and the man upstairs, we got, us, we got us an agreement. No, you don't. Did you know that as a, you say, preacher, how can you say that? that did you know that's a far cry 
from what John spoke of when he saw the glorified Christ? In fact, you got to see it. Would you take your Bibles and turn to Revelation chapter 1? Revelation chapter 1 tells us that John was caught up to that third heaven, if you will, and God begins to allow him to see heaven and Look, look, look what happens. Look what John mentions very first. I mean, Revelation chapter one and, and verse number nine. I'm gonna read a little bit of scripture, but I believe this is well worth it tonight. Revelation one, verse nine. John says there, I, I John, also am your brother, companion in tribulation and, and the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ was in the isle that's called Patmos for the word of God, for the testimony of Jesus Christ. In verse 10, he says, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. And what thou seest, write in the book and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia, Ephesus and Smyrna and Pergamos and Thyatira and unto Sardis and Philadelphia and Laodicea. Hang on, church. And John said, now I turn to see the voice that spake with me. And big turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the, of the seven candlesticks, one likened to the Son of Man. This is Jesus, friend. One likened to the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, girt about the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow. And his eyes were as a flame of fire. And his feet likened to fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace. And his voice has the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars and and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. And John said, and when I saw him, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. We had this conversation just the other night, didn't we, Brother Brandon? You better beware of these people who say, yeah, God came in, God came in the bedroom the other night and sat down on the bed. We had us a conversation. Oh, no, he didn't either. Yeah, yeah, Jesus came by the other day and sat down at the dinner table and we had, we had a meal together. No, he didn't either. No, he didn't. You say, preacher, don't judge. I'm judging. Biblically, I'm judging. Never happened. You know why I know, I know that? You check your Bible out. And every time in your Bible, when somebody had something called a theophany, or somebody has something called a Christophany where God appeared to them or Jesus appeared to them. Did you know there's always, always, there's a common denominator in all those? They always fall as dead. Whenever you see the son of God, you just, you're like, man, I can't even stand up. You should fall down. Hey, remember when he came to the garden and they said, are you him? And he said, I am. And when he said that, the Bible said, so, they fell back. And so I said all that to say this, friend. You understand that when you stand in the judgment seat of Christ, you're not going to answer the preacher. You want to answer to your husband. You want to answer to your wife. You want to answer to your parents. Hey, kids, are y'all hearing me? You want to answer to your parents. You'll stand before the Christ. And give an account. 
And so the judgment seat will come about following the rapture. The judgment seat will convene in the heavenlies. The judgment seat will be controlled by Christ. We've got to hurry. How about this, number four? The judgment seat will be concerned with motives. So look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3 in your Bibles and look at verse number 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse number 10 tonight. Let me show you something real quickly here this evening. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse number 10. Look what Paul says here concerning this judgment seat. He says, in verse 10, according to the grace of God which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another buildeth thereon. And then Paul says this, but let every man take heed, look at the next word, how? But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. Did you know the foundational motive for our Christian service should be Christ? Let me say that again. The foundational motive for our Christian service should be Christ. In fact, look what he says in verse 11, very next verse. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, and so our, our foundation for service ought to be Jesus. So if you're here tonight and you're, your foundation for service is so somebody will notice you or your foundation for service is so you can make money or your foundation for service to the Lord is so somebody will put your name in the bulletin. I'm not saying any of that's wrong necessarily, but I, but I am saying if somebody puts your name in the bulletin, praise the Lord. And if somebody comes up and pats you on the back and says, good job, praise the Lord. But I'm just saying this, that if you serve Christ or if you serve for any other reason than Jesus, you, my friend, and I, we have missed what it's all about. It's all about Christ. Now listen to this. Whatever your motivation was for serving the Lord will be revealed at the Bema seat. So I think you're in 1 Corinthians 3. Turn over one page and look at 1 Corinthians chapter 4. And look at verse number 5. Chapter four, verse five, Paul says, therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord come who will, who will both, who will both, uh, who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the heart and then shall every man have praise of God. You know what our Bible's saying there, church? It's gonna come out. Our motivation for serving Jesus is gonna come out. And so, this is what I'm saying. Just fall in love with the Savior and serve him because he's good. Serve him because he deserves to be served. Praise him. You know, if you're, if you're following somebody else's example and praising the Lord, that's okay. It's all right. You younger Christians and younger people and you see a saint in here and they're praising the Lord and you say, you know what, that looks, that looks like that might be fun. And, uh, you know, you see Brother Looney raise his hand, you know, or do, you know, raise his Bible and you go, man, I think I want to do that, you know. And, and all of a sudden, one day, preacher gets to preach, and the choir gets to sing, and, you, and, uh, and you're like, yeah, I'm going to do that. You know, and, uh, and, and you're like, yeah, I think I like that pretty good, you know. Or, or you're here, and, you, and you've never said amen, and all of a sudden, you hear Brother Horn say amen, or Brother Mike says amen, and you're like, I think I, I can, amen, you know. And now, wait a minute, that, there's nothing wrong with that, nothing wrong with that at all. But I'm just saying this, that whatever you do for Jesus, for Jesus let it be for him. Let it be for him. 
Man, uh, every time you vacuum a carpet or, or sweep or run a dust mop or, or, uh, or, or whatever you do, decorate or, or, or work in a ladies group or serve the youth or, or, or whatever you do. Let, listen, let it be for Jesus because when you do that, you know what you're doing? You're laying up rewards in heaven. Well, let's bring this thing to a close. Number five, the judgment seat will conclude with gain or loss of reward. Now, I do want you to understand something about uh, the judgment seat of Christ. The judgment seat of Christ is not a judgment that determines heaven or hell. Now, you say, preacher, I, I know, but I've read some stuff on that, you know, and people say, you know, that say this and that. Listen, the way we know this is because even those who lose rewards will be saved. So let's look at it and we're almost done. First Corinthians chapter three. First Corinthians chapter three and look if you will at verse number 13 tonight. Even those who lose rewards will be saved. First Corinthians three verse 13, every man's work shall be made manifest for the day shall declare it because it shall be revealed by fire and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is if any man's work abide which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. Look at verse 15. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be what? Shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Now, what does that mean? He's gonna make it in. You ever heard this statement? By the skin of his teeth. And so there are some that are gonna make it in by the skin of their teeth, but they're gonna make it in if they're saved. And so the people in this judgment are saved people. If our motives stand the test, they'll receive rewards. If our motives or our motivation to serve fails, we'll lose rewards. Now, we're done. You can close your Bibles. We're done. But listen, a couple things here before we finish. Old story. And I've, I've told this story several, several times. And so I'll just give you the very abbreviated version tonight. Truett Cathy is the uh, founder of Chick-fil-A. He's raised in a Christian home named after a preacher. And uh, God, blessed, God blessed him. And of course, Chick-fil-A is one of the most successful fast food uh, chains in the world. And uh, Truett Cathy's with the Lord now. But when he was alive, Truett Cathy had a farm, like a, a big farm, almost like a ranch, and he would bring young men to his ranch, and while they were there, he would pour into them and teach them how to work and teach them principles for living. And, and uh, anyway, long story short, he had some boys in uh, one week, and, and uh, some of those boys were from, from the inner city and problematic homes. And so he had brought up, uh, uh, back in the days of cassettes. I know y'all don't know what cassettes are now, you young people, but it was an album of cassettes. And it was a preacher. And True Kathy told this young man, he's a young black man, I think, and he said, son, he said, I'll tell you what you do. He said, I want you to start at tape number one. I was about six or seven, eight tapes in there. He said, I want you to start at tape number one. I want you to listen to tape number one, go to tape number two. And he said, just listen all the way through the album. And he said, this preaching and teaching is gonna help you immensely. And then a couple of weeks, I'm gonna have you back to the farm. And he said, I wanna sit down with you and we wanna explain, uh, we'll talk about it, see what you've learned and see if it's helped you. And so he gave that young man that album of tapes. A couple of weeks passed, and he invited that young man back to the farm. And 
And True and Kathy said, man, how'd it go? Did you listen to the tapes? Did they really, really help you? And the young man bowed his head. And True Kathy said, you didn't listen to them, did you? And that young man was very embarrassed. And he said, no, sir, I didn't. He said, I just got busy and then I just didn't have time. And True Kathy said, I knew you didn't listen. And he said, the way I knew is because he said, on the last tape in the album, after the preaching message, he said, I made my own recording. And it was something like this. It said, son, I'm so proud of you for listening to all these preaching tapes. And because you have, I'm going to buy you a brand new car. But he lost out. You know why? He wasn't motivated to do what he was told. And so you understand that one of these days when we stand at the judgment seat of Christ, we're going to lose rewards because we didn't serve like we were motivated by the Holy Spirit to do. Somebody said it like this. What would he say? If he should come today and find my hands so full of future plans, however fair, in which my Savior has no share, what would he say? If he should come today and find my love so cold, my faith so very weak and dim, I had not even looked for him, what would he say? If he should come today and find that I had not told one soul about my heavenly friend, whose blessings all my way attend, what would he say? If he should come today, would I be glad, quite glad, remembering that he died for all, and none through me had heard his call. What would he say? I read, uh, and some, I know we have some, uh, we have some uh, history lovers in here tonight. I love history. And I don't know how many have ever heard of, uh, of a man by the name of Colonel Abraham Davenport. Abraham Davenport was quoted by John F. Kennedy when he was running for president in 1960. And the reason that Colonel Abraham Davenport sort of went down in history is because they said that it was May the 19th, 1780, and on that day, May the 19th, for some reason, and to this day, it was a phenomenon, and nobody really knows. There's been different, different speculations about what was going on, but on that day, May the 19th in 1780, the day remained dark. It was a very dark, dark day. They said that many of the people back in that day lit candles in their houses. The birds seemed to be silent. It seemed that there were no birds flying in the air. And it said that during that time that the legislature of Connecticut was, was in session in Hartford, Connecticut. And as they began to look out the windows and the darkness prevailed throughout the day, that the general opinion prevailed that the day of judgment was at hand. And so, the House of Representatives, because they were so distracted by what was going on, decided to adjourn. Then there was a proposal to adjourn the Senate. And as they were considering that, they asked Colonel Abraham Davenport for his opinion. And this is what he said. I am against an adjournment. The day of judgment is either approaching or it is not. If it's not, there's no cause for an adjournment. 
if it is. I choose to be found doing my duty. I wish, therefore, that candles may be brought. Man, y'all get that? If it is, if the day of judgment is coming, I choose to be found doing my duty. Hey, Calvary, it is coming. I don't know when it's coming, but it's coming. And boy, when it comes, may he find us doing our duty. Let's all bow our heads tonight. Father, thank you for letting us learn something from your word tonight. Father, thank you for the doctrine of the judgment seat of Christ, the Bema seat. Lord, it's something that every one of us are, are going to experience. This is not just some grandeur that the preacher drums up, something that I'm just preaching, something that's not gonna happen. Lord, what I talked about tonight, it's coming. It's coming. We will all stand at that judgment seat of Christ and then every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that he is Lord. Father, I pray tonight you just use this lesson to help us to be busy about the Father's work. And God, as we're busy, help our motives to be right. God, help us not to serve. I'm so thankful that I have people here that love their preacher. I know I do. They love me very much and my wife. And Father, we love them. But God, may they not do what they do for the preacher. And may I not do what I do because of the people. Father, I pray we'll do it because of you. I pray that everything we do, say, preach, teach, every minister we're involved in, every time we pass out a gospel tract, every time we knock on a door, every time we extend an invitation, God, I pray it'll be because we're doing it for your glory and your honor. Father, I pray you'd have your way in this invitation. Maybe tonight on this Wednesday night, somebody needs you to slip out and, and come to this altar and say, Lord, help me to be found doing my duty. Thank you for your blessings tonight. We love you and praise you. In Jesus' name, our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Let's stand tonight. Out of, uh, as as uh, we have the invitation, our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. And we'll sing in just a minute maybe, but hey, is there anybody here tonight just needs to tiptoe down to an old-fashioned altar and, and just dedicate your life to Christ or rededicate your life to Christ? Or maybe there's somebody here tonight and there's some things in your life that shouldn't be in your life. Tonight, you'd get, you'd get that sort of, you'd get it right. Lord, it shouldn't be there. And tonight, you'd get it right, understanding that one of these days, we're gonna stand before the Lord. Maybe there's somebody here tonight that says, preacher, I believe what you preach tonight, but I'm not really, I'm not busy. I'm not serving. I'm not motivated for service. And maybe tonight, you just need to tiptoe down and, and just, just yield yourself to serve the Lord. So, Father, thank you. Thank you for the teaching of thy word. God, help us to be ready for this important, important day. Lord, I, that I believe is sooner 
than later. Lord, I believe we're just at the, I believe we're just at the brink. I believe we're the stage is being set. So, Father, help us to serve like we've never served. Help us to be busy, passionate for the cause of Christ like never before. Please, and we thank you.